And welcome. It is your money. I'm Susie Jones, and we are so happy to have you with us today. Right out of the gates, we want to make sure you have this number handy at all times, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 8886-ADVICE to call our friends at Wealth Enhancement. Also, email questions to yourmoney at wealthenhancement.com. You can also, for the next hour or so, text us at 651-461-9226. Now here is the founder of Wealth Enhancement Group and financial advisor, Bruce Helmer, and senior vice president and financial advisor, Peg Webb, welcome to both of you. Good morning, Susie. Good morning, Bruce. Hi, Peg. Hi, Susie. Ladies, it's always good to be with you. Hey, Susie, Peg and I today are going to talk a a little bit, and listeners, um, I think listeners, Peg, are aware of this, but the details and what it means to them, we're going to talk about the Supreme Court disallowing the Biden administration's plan to forgive student loan debt. This actually goes back several years. So a lot of people with student loans the last roughly three years or so haven't had to make payments. Well, that's going to change now. Uh, In June, the Supreme Court struck struck that down. And we are not, not, not talking about the politics of this. We're not commenting on whether that was a good decision, a bad decision, whether Biden's policy is good or bad. We're just sharing the facts with people. And I would also add, Peg, before I turn it over to you to kind of get into this topic, there are probably a lot of listeners right now that are saying, well, this doesn't impact me. I'm not paying or my kid isn't paying on, on a student loan. Why do I care? This, I think we'll talk a little bit about the broader economic impact and how this really actually matters to everybody. Now, to different degrees, uh, uh, yes, if you're, if you're one of those that has to resume paying a loan, it's going to be more impactful to you than someone that doesn't have a, a student loan. But it really affects all of us, and we'll probably talk a little bit about that. So, Peg, what actually, what was going on? What changed? What do people need to know, and what do people need to do now? Bruce, that's a lot. That is a lot. Um, thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, thank you. Um, the student loan forgiveness, uh, you're right, Bruce, it started three years ago uh, in an attempt to, you know, kind of give reprieve to people who have all these loans. And so the administration said that it would forgive $39 million in federal student loans. Um, they were talking about this. Even Bruce, I know we said we're not going to talk political, but they were talking about this in the last election already and, you know, kind of suggesting as people ran uh, to get the presidency that this would be a good idea. And so, of course, they want to follow through and see if they can get that all, um, you know, forgiven. So the good news is for people who had these loans that they did have reprieve for three years. And, you know, it's a big deal when uh, people are carrying all this debt to get educated, you know, and to get those higher income jobs. I get it. I think um, we need to provide education planning. And that's what Wealth Enhancement Group does for our clients is provide education planning so that you can you know, even if you have to borrow money, you get these degrees to get that higher paying job. And Bruce, that's kind of what I call, 
making the world go round, right? Because <clears throat> if you get educated, the odds are, the, the statistics still show that you're probably going to earn more money, you know, over your entire career. So I get it. I get it that now we don't necessarily want all these people to have this debt. And the problem here, though, Bruce, was people then were counting on it. And so, well, so what's next? Well, <clears throat> because they gave this three-year pause, we'd like to remind listeners today of if you're in this situation with these loans, wh what do you do next? You know, so the first thing I would do is pull out and see what my loan balances are, especially since you've probably ignored them for the next last three years. <clears throat> Make sure that your federal student aid account is up to date. You know, I'm one, if I didn't look at something for three years, I would know what's my password, how do I log in, um, double check that your servicer is the same. Bruce, I already, I, I remember decades ago about having these loans and all of a sudden you had to send your payment uh, to a new place. So that's another thing on your checklist. The, uh, go review the interest rates on your loans and, you know, what your monthly payments are. Obviously, you haven't had to think about that for a while. And then I hope you have a budget, but you're going to have to put these payments back in your budget. And what is it that you might have to, you know, your expenses, you might have to par those down to be able to make these payments. There is repayment options on these loans. So, of course, the standard is about 10 years, but some of them were able to go 20, 25 years out. So that's great for borrowers. But, Bruce, you would probably agree with me is that they tack on interest. So if it's over that length of time, it's almost like a mortgage. And the fact that you pay so much more for your education than if you could possibly just put a few more dollars, you know, early on. And then lastly, the goal is to reduce like your total debt costs. And, and what we remind listeners all the time is, you know, make sure you're educated on all the things that you're making payments on. Sometimes when we do automatic payments, it, you get lost in what really is going out the door. And um, I have an example that I, you know, automatically send in, um, you know, for a service every month and I'm supposed to go every month. Well, you know, with COVID, I didn't go. And Bruce, I mean, these, these payments are just piling up and I'm thinking, why am I having them take $80 a month out of my account when I'm not even using that service? It's, it's, it's something like that where maybe there's money that you could find to offset uh, for these uh, student payments that you're going to have to make. Bruce? Yeah, and, and the overarching bigger issue here is, and again, this is something we talk a lot uh, often uh, on the show, we talk about a lot, and again, it's an individual decision or a family decision. Do you go to college? Do you not go to college? Peg, you and I both have clients and we know people that have had success in life, financial success without a college degree, but you said it at the outset. Statistically speaking, it's still true that people with a college degree command a higher salary, and despite the increasing cost of education, and that's the thing that freaks me out. I think of what you and I paid when we went to college and what it costs today, and it blows my mind.
But despite that increasing cost, the net net can still make it worth it. But let's not lose sight of the fact there's a lot of good jobs out there that you can get with you know less education with trade school. And in fact, there are a lot of these uh, these these new technology jobs. Um, you people are better suited or, or well qualified without a college degree. But if you're in this position where you're carrying that debt, and we talk all the time about how to pay for college, and we'll talk about it a little bit today, the ways to save for college. But Peg, I have clients, and I'm sure you you do too, that feel bad that their their children have this debt. They feel like they they wanted to pay for college, or and they couldn't. And I tell clients all the time, when you look at that cost, it doesn't make you a bad person. It doesn't make you a bad parent if you couldn't totally pay for it. And I have other clients that say, I, even if I could, I wouldn't. I want my kid to have skin in the game. I want them to bear some of the responsibility. And again, there's not a right or wrong answer here. There's different parenting philosophies. But the bottom line is the cost of a college education is extraordinarily high, and there's a lot of people that are carrying debt to get that education. In March of 2020, they got a hiatus, but now, starting in September, they're going to have interest applied to that debt again. They've got, they've got a, you know, from March of 2020 to the present, they got a break. They didn't have to pay. They didn't have interest accruing. But starting in September, the interest starts to accrue again, and payments are due in October. So, again, this is a, this is a huge deal. Peg? Yeah, I, I remember, Bruce, and I've mentioned it on the show several times, is that when I went to college, I could get a summer job, and I had a summer job. And it actually paid for my entire tuition for my college. So if you can imagine that today, my um, and I'm dating myself, but my college uh, tuition was somewhere between $3,500 and $4,000. And I, you know, had a factory job that I would work 12 hours a day all summer. And I had the money by the time I went to school. Well, today, when we're looking at the cost, I mean, if it's tuition, room, and board, it's $23,250. No one's going to make that in a summer, right? So over the decades of time, things have really changed, and I feel bad for people with these costs. So we're working with clients, coming up with solutions, not necessarily how to pay off that debt that you already have. I mean, we can help with that, but we try to get people on the front end or either the parents or the grandparents. Often on this show, we bring up 529s, and 529s are a college funding, not necessarily anymore, because 529s, which is, let me just tell you basically what it is. A 529 is an entity that you can, an account, you can put money in, and provided that you use it for um, education, then the growth of that grows tax-free. And that's a really big deal uh, when things grow tax-free. But now this 529 has been around for quite some time. In 2017, I was super happy that they said, hey, not only are we going to allow you to put into these 529s for college, we're actually going to have allow you to put in for K through 12 tuition up to $10,000. And then in 2019, they actually um, added apprenticeship 
apprenticeship programs. And 2021, they changed so the grandparent can own the 529. So on and on, every year they're trying to enhance these. And what's the bottom line? They're trying to entice people to save for this higher education. So when it comes to contributions, uh, you don't get a deduction for a 529 for putting money in. I already mentioned that it grows tax-free, but you can also put a contribution in as much as a gift per year. Now, we talk a lot about this gifting on this show, but each of us can gift $17,000 to anybody we want. I could, I could choose 100 people and give $17,000, and there would be no IRS form to fill out. There would, and there would be you know, no action that I need to take other than just handing over the money or what some clients do is they transition or they transfer a stock that they have in their name and they hand it over to a grandchild or a son or a daughter or something like that. So 17000 um, per person. So if you have nine grandchildren, you could put 17000 in uh, those accounts. But if it's a husband and wife, like our clients are a couple, and they have a grandchild, they each can put in 17000 in this 529. The other thing that you can do, and a recent client did this, is you can take five years worth of your gift and put it all in, let's say, this year. So you can accelerate that 17000 per person and do five years um, up front. So, so it's got a lot of positives within this plan. And then the other thing, Bruce, that they're finally doing, because I think people aren't doing them as much, is because they're kind of labor intensive. What do I mean by that? Well, if, if I just got a call this week, a client said, I want to take a distribution out of the 529. Well, we need a receipt. We need a receipt that, the, that you paid this college or that you... Um, you know, made a, a qualified expense, and then you have to, we have to get that receipt, and then we have to notify the custodian, and then we got to get the checkout. Recently, some 529s now are giving that, I don't want to call it a credit card, but a debit card, kind of like our health savings accounts and, and our um, uh, medical accounts, where we can then just, you know, send in that receipt later after the fact, and then get um, the monies to pay us back. Bruce? Let's stay on this. So we, we started out talking about what just happened, that this uh, student loan forgiveness is ending, and then we kind of nicely segued Peg into, in the future, for listeners that haven't confronted this yet, how do we try to reduce the chances that this is a problem for you? How do we pay for this higher education. Let's stay on that for a while. Eventually, I think I do want to go back to something you said earlier about the interest on these loans, and it's almost a little bit like a mortgage. It's a, it's a long-term uh, debt. But let's let's continue on and talk about other ways of funding this education and hopefully not having to take out big loans to pay for your education. You started logically with probably the most popular one, the 529, what are some other options available for people to uh, save for education, Peg? Yeah, I would call this the old-fashioned option, which is called a custodial account, which is a unified, unified um, 
no, Uniform Gift to Minors Act. We, we usually short it and call it UGMA, U-G-M-A. But that account allows you to um, uh, put in monies. And this one is much more flexible, meaning a 529 is actually managed by a money manager, and you can't necessarily go buy Apple stock with your 529. Well, with this custodial account, you can actually go buy some individual stocks or if you have some stock that you have and you want to transfer it over, that's what that account is is for. There's also a Coverdale Education Savings Account, which is just for simpler needs. The negative to me on that is it limits contributions of $2,000, but yet the positive is you can actually go buy what you want to buy in a Coverdale Education Savings too. But there are restrictions and you got to follow a lot of rules um, with that one. And then the big one, and I still see this with some of my clients, is they're taking advantage of the federal tax breaks. Depending on your modified adjusted gross income, you may be able to take the American Opportunity Tax Credit or the Lifetime Learning Credit in the first four years that you pay for um, tuition. And that's a big deal. The reason I see that often is because, number one, I review their tax returns intra-year and help the client try to achieve to get these types of credits. But also, it, um, it, it is what I call kind of free money, right? You don't have to make an application. You don't have to put your own money into the deposit. If you can get these credits from the government, that would be great. And then lastly, there, there's a maximum credit of 2500 per student. So it's not like, hey, I paid 10000 and I'm going to apply for a $10,000 credit. But when we talk about credits on taxes, to me, those are so valuable, right? Because when it, it comes off after it says, I owe you to the IRS, I owe them this much money, let's say you owe 10000 this credit, 2500 comes right off that 10000 and reduces your tax liability um, to the government. Bruce? Peg, that's a great job of kind of covering some good ideas for people to pay for college. The 529, the UGMA, uh, the Coverdale, and taking advantage of federal tax breaks. You did a great job. Let's go back. You brought this up earlier. I want to dig a little bit deeper. We have a couple minutes left before we break. What, what do we tell people now that their student loan is going to resume and they say, I can't afford this. I can't afford it. It's too much. The interest rate is too high. I don't know how I'm going to make ends meet. What can I do? What, what, what do we tell people that say, I'm not going to be able to, to make this payment? Are there any options? Um, well, uh, if, if, I didn't mean to I guess you, a curveball. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I, the only thing I was thinking is, um, you know, well, I talked about the budget, right? And then the other ways might be consolidating or refinancing loans. So maybe you do have a high interest. Um, right now, this is really top of mind out there for everyone because this was a big deal that this got, um, that these loans are starting again. So I would, you know, check with the custodian that you have the loan with, is there any way to refinance? Um, look at making extra payments, but that's gonna be hard, Bruce. If you can't make the payment, that's gonna be difficult. The other thing I um, have always suggested too is uh, intra-family loan. So um, instead of paying seven and a half, nine and a half percent, 
maybe your family member would give you a loan for less interest. Because bottom line, Bruce, the, the worst part about these loans is that this interest and and that's just money kind of thrown out the window that you could otherwise maybe invest in your future or, you know, pay down your debt quicker. Bruce? Yeah, uh, I know we're almost due for a break, Susie. Just to build, uh, take the baton from you, Peg, I'm glad you brought up interfamily loan. Again, the parent that says, I could give my kid the money, but I want them to have skin in the game, but I can make them a loan. It's a win-win. They can pay me an interest rate higher than I can make on a bank deposit, but they're going to pay me a lower interest rate than they have on the loan. So it can be a win-win, and it's a great planning strategy. So, Susie, when we come back, we'll tie up this topic, and we'll let listeners take us the rest of the way home. All right, very good. Let's remind our listeners right now, the number to call if you have a question or a, you want to actually call in, you can do this, uh, 651-461-9226. And if you're not comfortable with talking on the air, which some people are not, you can text us your question, 651-461-9226. You're listening to Your Money, on, and it is 830. Welcome back. It is Your Money. I'm Susie Jones driving the ship that our captains, Bruce Helmer and Peg Webb, are actually steering the ship. They are Bruce Helmer, again, the founder of Wealth Enhancement Group and financial advisor, also senior vice president and financial advisor, Peg Webb. Welcome back to both of you. We want to remind people this part of the show, we invite everyone to be involved. If you're listening and have a comment or a question, feel free to jump online, 651-461-9226. You can text us a question, or you can call the studio as well. We got a text already, guys, that says, in 1969 and 70 at Bruce's alma mater, the University of Minnesota, Moore, where did you go? Did you go to Twin Cities? Where'd you go, Minnesota Bruce? Minnesota Morris. Yeah, Morris, right? Morris. He says room yeah. and board and tuition, $1,500 a year. Holy cow. We were just talking about this at our cabin last week, how much my mom wrote out a check for me, you guys, at the University of Minnesota, and I stood in line at the registrar with my little check. I think it was like 300 or $500 that my mom wrote, and that was how it was. And now you guys are talking about, how, oh, it's crazy how expensive college is. Bruce? Yeah, it really has increased, and, and again, that's that's what led to today's topic. Thank you, Susie, and, and, and listeners, thanks for hanging in there. If you joined us late, we're talking about the fact that uh, this student loan forgiveness, which goes back to March of 2020, a policy put in place by the Biden administra- administration, has been struck down. If you have student loans, it's a bad idea to assume it's going to be forgiven. You're probably going to you know, one way or another, have to pay back this loan. We talked about uh, it's not just the cost of the education, but the interest rate. So you want to try to pay it off sooner. It's like a mortgage or it's like, you know, anything else that's uh, really expensive or it's like having a credit card balance. You end up paying more in interest than actually the cost of the thing you bought. In this case, it's an education. So we talked about the issue. We talked about some of the ways to save for education, uh, Peg talked at length about 529s. We talked about UGMA and UTMA, Coverdale, and taking advantage of, of some federal tax breaks. But if you're in this position, um, one thing we didn't hit on, Peg, 
if you're in the position that you've got to uh, start to repay your loan, um, we did not talk about uh, some people that were actually in default before the forgiveness started in March of 2020. And we should give a website for those listeners. If you go to uh, studentaid.gov slash announcements dash events slash default, I know this is a lot, studentaid.gov backslash announcements dash events backslash default dash fresh dash start. Um, you can probably, this is probably also on our website, you can get some help at getting reset up to pay back your loan. But this is one of those things that people think that if they ignore it, it'll just go away. That's not going to happen. This, this is going to follow you your whole life on your credit rating. It's just, it, it's very impactful. And Peg, I promised, and Susie, I promised at the beginning of the show that this is applicable to everybody, and here's how it is. If you're out there right now listening, thinking, I don't have a kid with, with a student loan, I don't have a student loan, the, the amount of money the last three years that was going into the economy, to the GDP, to buying retail things, the, uh, this, the, the demand for things after coming out of COVID, the pent-up demand of people wanting to buy stuff, buy airplane tickets, hotel reservations, that money now is going to go back into debt. It's going to be, it's going to come out of the economy. And I don't know what the impact for sure is going to be to the GDP or to the stock market, but I know it's going to have some impact that you, you can't have an economic wave like this happen and us not feel it in some way. So um, more to come on what, what, what it's actually going to mean. I haven't, Peg, I haven't seen any studies or predictions, but I've seen a lot of people talk about this fact that it's going to have an impact on everybody. They're just not sure how it's going to impact everybody. And, Peg, I want to give you the last word. I did in the first half of the show when you talked about your summer job. And if I recall correctly, you correct me if I'm wrong, your summer job was in a pickle factory. My summer job was in a, uh, a, a cream-style corn canning company, but I had the same experience. I could make enough over the summer to pay for college, and I had money left over, and I would uh, I would go buy record albums. For listeners that don't know what that is, that's what was uh, before CDs, and some listeners don't even know what, CD, what CDs are. But yeah, we both had some jobs back in you know the late 70s, early 80s that could pay for our entire college education. Well, that's not even close to feasible anymore. Pick? Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I could actually go on kind of a, a huge rant here in that, I, you know, when I look at the past and I just look at the colleges today and I, and I actually think about this just in our school systems too, is that a lot of these facilities to me look like the Taj Mahal, right? They're just grandiose and beautiful and, and just all the money that uh, goes into just the infrastructure of educating children. So, you know, fiscally responsible um, comes up in my mind, just thinking, uh, you know, did we not foresee, you know, how much this is going to cost? And it's not actually just concentrated in the school systems, uh, both the K through 12 and the college. It's just a lot of things where, you know, we have to calculate, you know, what does the future bring if we can and, and how is this going to create a burden? 
I like what you said, Bruce, in that it could be impactful. Not that I like that it's going to be impactful, but it could be impactful. But I also think that, you know, the forgiveness was really announced three years ago. And the fact that um, maybe everybody was hopeful that they wouldn't have to make the payments. The other thing I wanted to mention is, um, you know, a lot of our clients are grandparents, right? So they're grandparents of these children that um, have these loans. And it's, it, it can actually be really helpful. And, and this is what happens in, in my practice is that the grandparents have extra money and they truly do. And they truly want to help out the family members. And so in a lot of cases, I will recommend that they help out with paying off some of this college um, debt. You know, I sit there and listen to the stories, Bruce, of, of, you know, they're just beaming at these grandchildren and what they're doing and, and the mark they're making on the world. And so uh, monetarily, if they can't afford to do it, I'm the one who's sitting there giving them the conviction that, yes, you can give them 5000 And if you want it directly to go to their student loans, you can direct that. Um, the other thing is, is if the kids are in college right now, it is best for a grandparent to give the last couple years of college because the way that financial aid actually works is that it's based on your tax return and it's based on the tax return that's in the past. And so we encourage clients if they're going to give that they give in the latter parts of the year, uh, the years of education. And then also the, um, I mentioned the gifting, Bruce, in the beginning of the show. There's a lot of gifts being made by grandparents because they're, you know, a lot of them are 60, 70, 80 years old. And some of them are great grandparents, whereby they've been such good savers over their lifetime that um, it actually, if you give these gifts, then it helps with the death taxes, the estate taxes, when you die in the state of Minnesota, just right now, it's about 3 million each that we can die with. But anything over that is going to be the percentage is going to go to the state. Well, if you give your money away, you know, way ahead of time before you pass away, then that would uh, help avoid that extra tax uh, for your family. Bruce. Peg, I, I'm, you know, I'm glad you brought up, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote you when you said Taj Mahal, because I think you hit on something really important. I think going forward, the way people get higher education is going to change. We've learned, you know, one of the, you know, blessings in disguise or, or silver linings in the cloud of COVID is that we've learned that people can be productive without actually physically being there. Even as we speak today, Many wealth enhancement employees are still working remotely. You and I and Susie aren't in the same room anymore like we once were. Um, so the way education happens, I think going forward, will become more cost effective as we learn you can do a lot of education remotely and more, more cost effectively. I also think as we progress, technological changes are going to create a lot of potential jobs that don't require a college degree for someone to be highly compensated. So going forward, some of these problems, I think, are going to be um, less significant. But 
that does not help the people that are already in the situation who are impacted by the Supreme Court decision. And that was really our focus today. You know, what do you do now and going forward, how do you avoid it? That's why we talked about the various ways for saving for education. But I think the way people get education and, and what you need to be successful in the future is going to be different than what it was for us, you know, four years ago or whatever. Um, then lastly, Susie, before we uh, go, to, go to calls uh, or questions or emails or texts, it doesn't have to be on this topic. Any financial question is absolutely fair game. If you have something you wanted to talk about today, didn't know we were going to talk about student loan forgiveness and you have something else, any financial question is fair game. Pe Peg, any last thoughts before we turn it over to listeners that you want to make sure you give listeners a key takeaway? Uh, no, I, I think we should get listeners involved. All right, 651-461-9226. We'll start with uh, just a comment. A texter writes this morning, I think it would behoove the state to subsidize student tuition because, after all, a higher-paying job will lead to higher state income taxes. That's a thought that someone weighed in with that you can respond to if you would like. Yeah, kind of. I would. And again, I you know, wealth enhancement is uh, politically neutral. But this idea of um, making educational costs tax deductible or giving tax breaks has been around for a long time. And and regardless of what side of the aisle you lean on, I can see some merit or logic in doing that. You know, we give a lot of people tax breaks for a lot of different things. And educating children seems like it should be, you know, a pretty a pretty high priority in terms of what we prioritize as a country. And I think right now we give some tax breaks for less important things. So I can I, I understand that. Um, now the problem is in the actual execution of it, and you know, getting both sides of the aisle to to buy in to to, to the concept. And I think there is some support for that on both sides of the aisle, but like anything else, when it gets political, it gets the devil's in the details and it gets tricky. But I could see that having net economic benefit for us as a country if it's done correctly. Peggy, you want to jump in? Yeah, well, it just reminded me, Bruce, of a, kind of a quote that I've heard all my life, that the United States is not the smartest country. I mean, even when I was young, it was, hey, all these other countries are ahead of us in education and that kind of thing. And even when I was preparing for this show today, you know, I Googled it. Like, who are the smartest educated countries? And we're not in the top 10. And so that I, the reason I bring that up is because I think something does have to give. And I'm a big proponent of education. And I love what the texter said in that it does create extra revenue uh, tax-wise, you know, for uh, for the good of the country. Bruce? No, that well said. Yeah, again, I, I, I agree with the sentiment. Uh, the execution um, is tricky, and you'd have to, the devil's the details. Susie? 651-461-9226 if you have a comment for Bruce or for Peg, or you have a question. This texter writes in, I will be 66 this December. When can I make all the money I want and not have a Social Security penalty? Craig. 
Oh, what a good question. And we are uh, changing topics, which is fine. So, Peg, I think what Craig is talking about is uh, uh, full retirement uh, a full retirement age with regard to Social Security um, and, and if you take it before that. Um, so talk a little bit about Social Security and what some important things are for people to know. It's a really good question. Yeah, so with Social Security, um, if you want to continue to work, you know, uh, based on your um, highest years and, and what you've earned, the age, Bruce, I think I'm actually a little bit blank here. If it's six, it was 65, but now I don't know if it's FRA that you can work. Yeah. I think it's still, go ahead. Well, it depends, Peg. It, de it depends upon when you were born. So if you were born in 1960 or later, full retirement mm -hmm. age for Social Security is 67. If you were right. born from 54 to 59, say, say you were born in 54, then it's age 66. But if you were born like I was in 59, it's 66 years and 10 months. And if you were born before 1954, then it's uh, still age 65. Yes, you you just reminded me of all that. Okay, so then if you're working, um, you get a reduction in your benefit if you're receiving the benefit while you're working if you're under those ages. So it does. It depends on when you actually hit FRA to be able to get the reprieve from having to pay back. Let's say, well, this is what we normally do in our practice. I never, ever have people start Social Security if they're going to get a reduction or a pullback to Social Security while you're working. Bruce? Yeah, and, and actually, Peg, and, and I got to admit, I pulled out a cheat sheet. So, um, yeah, full retirement age, we got it right. 60 years later, it's age 67, 55 to 59. It's 66 years and some months, 43 to 54. If you were born in those years, 43 to 54, full retirement age is 66. You can take your Social Security benefit as early as age 62 if you want to, or you can wait until age 70. And when to take it is one of those age-old questions people you know have different opinions on do i take it sooner and get it for more years although it's less money or do i wait and take it later and get bigger checks for less years and we can do those calculations to determine how long you have to live to make waiting make sense for you but what what craig is really talking about here is if i'm still working and i want to draw my benefit as you said peg I'm going to have a detrimental impact, and you don't want to turn Social Security on if you're still working a full-time job. Now, if you're still, I have clients, Peg, that might be uh, working at a big box, you know, convenience store part-time, or might be a starter on a golf course, and they're just working a little bit, and they don't make a lot of money. So the the benchmark right now, where it would actually impact your Social Security benefit negatively. You're not yet full retirement age. It's currently at $21,240. And no, I did not have that number committed to memory, and it changes every year. I pulled out my handy tax cheat sheet, so that's the only reason I know. <laughs> so if you're, if you're on a job and you think you're going to make twenty grand and you haven't yet hit full retirement age, you can take Social Security and you're not going to have a detrimental impact. 
But for every dollar over 21-240 you go, in essence, you're losing about 50 cents a dollar of your Social Security benefit. So, Peg, I agree with you. I tell my clients not to take it for full retirement age if they're still working and they're going to make more than, you know, 20-some grand. Susie? Yep, 651-461-9226 is the text line that you can call or use uh, to text in your questions. This texter writes, can you give us a couple of examples of some creative charitable strategies that your firm utilizes? What a great question. So, Peg, go ahead. Yeah, the first one is the qualified charitable deduction. So if you're over 70 and a half years old, you can give to charity out of your IRA, your taxable IRA, and not have to claim that then as income. I, I chose 70 and a half because that's what the uh, RMD, required minimum distribution, used to be, and it's the charitable still stayed at that age. But you probably heard from our shows in the past that now the required minimum distribution is 73 years old, but you can still give through your IRA at 70 and a half. The other one is a donor advised fund, which I love. A donor advised fund is where you can put money into a, a entity and have a custodian there and then get your deduction all in one year. You could do cash or stock. And then you um, also then can just give to charities during your lifetime. So I like that because some clients, Bruce, are not ready and prepared to give to have the name of the places they want to give but they want a particular, maybe a deduction in a high tax year. Bruce? Yeah, and uh, this is probably the last word. I know we're coming up against the clock again, Susie, but both those strategies, Peg, both the QCD and the Donor Advised Fund, have been around a long time, but they became more prevalent a few years ago with the tax law change that raised the standard deduction because most people now that used to itemize and have to keep track of their gifts to charity, now their itemized deductions don't equal the standard and they just take the standard deduction. So donor advised funds and QCDs are a way of uh, getting some uh, uh, tax benefit for your generosity. Susie, I know we're out of time. Yes, we are. Thank you. want to remind people, if you did not get your question answered, you can call anytime, 1-888-6ADVICE or your money at wealthenhancement.com. Again, 1-888-6ADVICE or that website. You can email your question to your money at wealthenhancement.com. Make it a great week.